Hi everyone, I'm Pamelia Chia and you're listening to the Singapore Noodles Podcast, your go-to destination to learn about Singaporean food culture. Today I have on the show Rebecca Ko of Midnight Fermentary and Midnight Food Co. So Rebecca was struggling with chronic insomnia and she found that she could use her sleepless hours to ferment as a form of therapy. In this chat, she shares about the value of fermenting your own food and she also provides many useful tips on how we can get started on our own fermentation journey. So I don't know a lot about your background and your heritage. I know that you might be half um, Cantonese. Are you Cantonese or are you Hakka? Three-quarter Cantonese. Okay. Because um, my paternal um, grandparents, they were, they were from this, where is it, Guangzhou, Zhongshan? Mm-hmm. on China but my mom's side only you know like the my maternal grandfather is Hokkien but my maternal grandmother is Cantonese so you can see that I'm treat water Cantonese oh, okay I see I brought up more familiar with Cantonese cuisines because it's like my grandparents are such great cooks so it's like the botong, the tantong, and then all those stuff, you know, it's like that's so common in Cantonese family. I grew up on them. Yeah. Yeah. But did your family have any like any traditions that revolved around fermentation? None. With the exception of maybe um, the you know, like ginger, um, ginger rice wine, you know, ginger chicken rice wine. Yeah, but that is only limited to whenever there is, you know, a a new newborn in the family because the mom recuperating from the pregnancy from the delivery we as kids and all the rest now who's very you know by sick very tamjiak that kind you know we will you know like grab a little bit of this a little bit of that I probably had my first taste of you know like rice wine before I even attended primary school because <laughs> in a way it's like well, you know, my, my, my grandmother doesn't believe in kids. You should abstain from this. You should abstain from that. No. She gave me, you know, my first case. Yeah, she'll just cook a little bit and then she'll give it to you and then she'll feed it to you. I think I probably had that, you know, so even before I attended primary school. I think by now, I think a lot of parents will be worried, you know, like, why is my kid being fed rice wine and stuff like that? But during my time, no. We eat anything that, you know, like our elders feed us. Yeah, that's so true. Like, I feel that nowadays parents are a lot more meticulous in like ensuring yes. their children's diets and things like that. They're very, very careful and sometimes I think bordering on, you know, sort of overly cautious. Mm, so true. So how did your journey with fermenting happen? I mean, um, I know that you said that you, you were struggling with chronic insomnia. Yes. In 2017, I was diagnosed as having chronic insomnia. I have seen medical attention. There were times whereby you took medication for it, but you simply can't sleep. You meet up with your specialists and, you know, so I tell them, you know, so like to, um, you know, so up your dosage or change to another, you know, medicine, but then it's not the way, you know, so like to go. So I, I told my um, specialist that, um, I probably want to stay with this, you know, so if you feel it's okay, I want to stay with this med. Because it's only a few days, okay? It's like maybe a few days of the month, I'm on the medication, I can't sleep. So rather than focus on the insomnia, at the same time, I was reading a lot of food blogs. Mm. So I come across Kimchi Mari. She's, she's on um, Instagram right now. So um, I love the way she made kimchi making, you know, so seems so simple and then fun. Because her writings, you know, her description were very uplifting. So I was thinking like, hey, 
why don't I just make some kimchi? And during 20, I think in 2017, there wasn't you know, like that many good kimchi around you know, like in Singapore. So I was saying, okay, why don't I make my own? Since you know, I look through the ingredients, I can easily buy them. And there's a Korean supermarket. Okay, small little shop in Parade, which I can easily get the Korean fish sauce, the Korean chili powder and whatnot. So, you know, as I said, okay, I'll, I'll make it. Why not like try and, you know, like use my waking hours to do something productive? You may be asking, why can't you, why don't you cook something? Since I probably have picked up some, you know, like cooking skills from your, from your grandparents or whatnot. But then you see, cooking, you need to clean up and it can be really troublesome. But with making kimchi, it's much, much easier. You don't have a lot of wash up. So, so I did kimchi, you know, it's like um, for I think nearly a year. So, you know, so at that time, I was so interested into, you know, so I said kimchi, don't, you know, so I think Chinese, you know, that like we also have something called yam chai, you know, like, and stuff like that. Why don't I look into it? Yeah, I just put two and two together and realized that's why your Instagram handle is Midnight Fermentary, because you, <laughs> were, making, because you were making all of these things in the middle of the night, right? Because yes. of your insomnia. I'll, I'll start work at um, 11 p.m. when all my, you know, so all my family will be asleep. And I will, you know, so I do my stuff until about 3, 4 a.m. And then I'll do cleaning up and then by 5, back on my bed. Wow. And so, you know, that process is a very solitary one, right? I mean, it's like yes. you alone at night, in the middle of the night. I, I'm sure it was a very meditative kind of process. Mm-hmm. How did you find that that solitary time? I don't know. I think probably I'm an introvert. I I I mean I'm not you know someone who's good with group meetings and meeting people, new peoples and stuff. But then it's like when you're only you alone and then you know like doing all the stuff, it's very enjoyable for me. I really really enjoy the time. You know, it's like alone doing you know it's like my fermentation. It's sort of calmed my insomnia. <laughs> Mm-hmm. In a way, because you know, I find that I tend to be less affected by things around me, mm-hmm. and I'm able to, you know, like be calm. And I just was like, I-, I feel so happy rather than focus on hey, another restless night. What am I gonna do? <laughs> no, so fermentation really helped me in uh-huh. terms of health. Yeah. yeah, and in terms of discovering your own heritage, like, did you feel that delving into this aspect of food really helped you connect mm-hmm. with being Singaporean or being Chinese? I think in a way, it's not just, you know, it's like Chinese. There's a lot of fermentation in our Asian cooking, it's like belachan, chinchalok, and then even the fermented durian, you know, it's like to make, you know, it's like curry, which is so good. Okay, pungent, but then, you know, really, really good. And then, you know, so even for Indian, you know, so like dosa, you know, so yeah. like, and then the lassi, and then a lot of the chutney. Because I learned from one, I have one IG friend, she's a fermenter, you know, so like in India. She said that a lot of their chutneys are actually made through fermentation. It's not like what, you know, we deem it as, oh, we just cook, cook, cook. No, no, no. Because what I understand from her was, you know, so like the fermentation actually, you know, so like, Change the profile of, you know, like the vegetable mm. and it lifted the taste. It's like yeah. when you look at recipes, right? 
Chutneys mm-hmm. are always like, oh, you just blend it up and then you eat right away, right? But for her, you know, so I, I, you know, so if you're interested, you know, so I can give you her, you know, so IG, and then you can take a look. But for her, you know, so no, it's actually like certain stuff you have to go through fermentation for, for the taste to develop, yeah, for the flavor to develop, yeah. And I was scrolling through your Instagram feed, right? I, I saw quite a few different kinds of glutinous rice wine. And I was very interested by that because my grandmother-in-law actually makes her own glutinous rice wine, the red one. But I saw on your profile that you have like the yellow one as well. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? I think the yellow ones are more common among Cantonese and Hakkas. Because... Mm. Um, the two ladies, the two ladies that whom I learned it from, they were hackers. One, I think one was Hakka, half Hakka or something like that. But they're definitely Hakka's descendants. So what ha- what I learned from them was, you know, it's like they don't add the red piece rice into it. They just, you know, ferment using just glutinous rice and then white yeast cakes. That's mm-hmm. all. So I think like for the red one, especially in Singapore. The, the more popular version, you know, like is due to the fuchos. Mm. The fuchos, you know, like did a great job, you know, like preserving, you know, like the making of the red, uh, red wine yeast. Mm. You have the chicken, and then you have the red, you know, wine soup. So that is more of fucho. But I do come across like some Cantonese who mix their yellow rice wine with the addition of the red rice, if I remember, because mm. they say that. Though the yellow color, you know, it's, like it, it's not as festive. So let's talk a little bit about the yeast. You were talking about red yeast rice, right? And that's yeah. actually a, an ingredient that the Chinese people use a lot, like uh, to color tashu and things like that. Um, yes. So you have two kinds of yeast that you mentioned. One is the red yeast rice and the other one is the white color wine cake. Cakes. Yeah. So what's the difference between the two? I think, you know, it's like, okay, from what? I've learned you can't brew wine purely with the red yeast rice. You have to, you know, have the, the red yeast cakes together with the red yeast rice before you can make wine. Mm. You can't fully, you know, just brew using the red yeast rice solely. Yep, you can't. Mm. So it's primarily there for color coloring for the yeast activity. La. Yes. And then, I mean, for, I think, you know, it's like for the red yeast rice, it also contributes to the flavor. Mm, okay. So can you yeah. talk us through the process of making your own uh, glutinous rice wine? How long does it take and what is the rough process? Okay, I don't do cooking of the rice in the, you know, like rice cooker. There are some people who does that. But I was like, I don't, because I find that it's really, really hard to control, you know, like the moisture level of each grain of rice. So what I do, I do the traditional method. Depending on the weather, if let's say it is just like maybe from June to September, where it's, it's like it's warmer in Singapore, I only do a six-hour soak. If let's say it is as cold as now, like which is around 26, 27 in Singapore, I'll do an overnight soak. Mm. So, and then after soaking up the rice, you're, I mean, what I've learned was, you know, that I have to drain it for an hour before I can steam. When you lift it and then you actually put it into the steamer, 
there's still some water, you know, so in between the grains. Mm. So even, you know, so what happened is when you steam it, the bottom layer will be, you know, it's like mushy, yes. Then the, then the topmost layer. So we want something that is, you know, it's like even out for every grain. That's why we have to drain it for about an hour before I steam it. So after steaming, I have to let um, the rice you know, cool down. Mm. So this is the part whereby what I've learned in Taiwan is very different from um, Malaysia. My two teachers, they say, you're supposed to scoop up the rice and they spread it out so that, you know, so it will cool down properly. And then later on, you know, it's like do the mixing. But in Taiwan, what I've learned was they use water from the tap, okay, filtered water from the tap. And, and they actually use the running water to cool down the whole container of rice. At that time, they also use a spatula and then they do the mixing so that each grain of rice you know, is like, washed by the water and then after that, it will cool down. So that's, that, that, that's the part whereby it was very, very different for me. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, it's like the, the Malaysian and Singapore way of doing it and then the Taiwanese way of doing it. Yeah, yeah that's the only part. Other than that, you know, it's, like it's basically the same. So after the rice has cooled down, what we do is that, you know, it's like, we will break down the rice wine cakes. Yeah. Okay. In Singapore and Malaysia, they use rice wine cakes. Mm. In Taiwan, there are people, you know, like who use rice wine cakes, but there are also the newer version whereby like the wine is appears in powder, powder form. So it's easier for you to spread it, you know, like through the rice. Yes. So it's like after you have spread the wine is throughout the rice and you do the mixing what you do is that you scoop it and you put it inside a vessel always remember don't tighten the lid on the vessel yeah it'll explode yeah it will explode so no 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 no, don't do that so yeah. and then you're going to leave it over there you're, you're not, not going to seal it yeah some people talk about covering it right is there like a scientific basis for it or is it pantang like where people believe that if you look at it then it will not ferment to tell you the truth, I'm one of those who say, Sigina, um, you know, the, the kind of, you know, it's like itchy hand, you know, it's like you will, you will literally go and, you know, it's like open it up and take a look at it and stuff like that, you know. So I can tell you that if you have done your sanitizing properly mm-hmm. and when you open it up, you know, so you make sure subsequently before you close it, you spray some, what I use is very high alcohol content. You can actually use gin. Or even, you know, like vodka, if you can afford it. And then you close it up, no issues. My mom was saying, because I said, I just want to experiment and see how true, you know, all those taboos are. So in a way, yeah, I don't think, I think probably last time, it was like sanitary level, you know, I mean, hygiene is not, hygiene level is not as great as right now. So it's like, that's why people, you know, like say that you're not supposed to open it, you're not supposed to touch it. You know, like what they call that pregnant woman cannot make rice wine. And you have the time of the month for the women, you're not supposed to make rice wine and stuff like that. From start to finish, how long does the fermentation take? At least 30 days, depending on the weather. Yeah. Because, you know, like Singapore's weather is crazy. Mm. I live in a flat that is west facing. So, you know, it's like I always get really, really warm, you know, it's like June to September. And during those times, those months, 
what I'll do is that what I'll do is that I'll actually put my rice wine into a fermentation chiller so that I can control the temperature. That's like one of those kimchi fridges, is it? I think the temperature range is smaller. Mm. Mine is actually, I, I got it from one of the home brewing you know, shop in Singapore. It's just basically a 65 liters chiller that allows you to, you know, like adjust, you know, like to the temperature that you want, as low as 18, all the way to 26 using that chiller, yes. So you talked about home brewing shop. What is this? I mean, I've never ever heard of a home brewing shop. Because <laughs> the home brewing shop, okay, I mean, as you know, you know, it's like what I've learned from it's like those um, old aunties in Malaysia, they use very traditional vessels, like, it's like clay vessels. And it's like even the most so-called modern one, you know, will be the glass bottles with the, you know, like red cap. So, but I find it really, really challenging to sanitize, you know, like with, um, what you call it, hot water. And then I found two shops. Okay, that time in 19, no, in 2018, there's only one shop, iBrew in Clementi. Ooh. And then subsequently, in these few years, there's another one called Homebrew Co-op, which is nearer, and then in, so I think he's in Macpherson. So, you know, it's like what I do is I buy vessels from them because the HDPE vessel that uh, brew, you know, it's like brew um, beer for beer brewing. So I just get it from them. And then I don't use hot water to sanitize. <laughs> I use sanitizing liquid such as Tarsen. Mm. And um, there's another one which is cheaper. I think it's called Simquat. That one is easier because you just need to dilute it and then you just use a spray bottle and spray the inside and the covers and then all the equipment you use. Mm. And I know that some grandmothers would store the rice wine under the table. Have you ever heard of that? <laughs> yes. What, what My maternal grandma did that. <laughs> well, what is the reason for that? Probably because it's like they do not want, you know, it's like it's fluctuation in, you know, it's like the room temperature. So, you know, so that's why they store it, you know, it's like under the bed. And then another thing is, I think, just to stop pesky kids like me, like, who will just go and disturb the wine. I think that's the reason why they store it. I don't do that. Yeah. So, how do you enjoy your glutinous rice wine at home? What, what do you think is the best way? Okay. I don't know whether it's it only my family, but we literally add like rice wine to a lot of stuff that we cook. Seriously, because it's like um, we use a lot of rice wine to make um, you know, it's like the ginger chicken rice wine. Yep, we, we use that. Gaizao, uh, we use you know, it's like to cook gaizao with it, and then we also do you know, it's like stir fry ginger pork mm. slices, you know, it's like with the rice wine. Oh, so apart from that, yeah, that's really really good. And then you know, that's whenever we what you call that, you know, it's like stir fry veggies, Chao Kai Lan. Mm. And then it's like the kalang veggie or, you know, it's like stir-fried broccoli. You know, it's like my grandma always add a splash of it in. She said that it takes away the bitterness of the veggies. How true, I do not know. But all I know, it makes the veggie yummy. Mm. <laughs> That's all I know. Because I do not know whether it really takes away the bitterness. What about for the leaves? How would you use it? Would you use it in a different way? Because the leaves, you know, it's like for the hakas and the Cantonese, I don't recall, you know, it's like any special way of using it. So what I do is like, 
after I like filter off all the wine, the leaves in the, they are still you know like full of liquid. Mm. So what I'll do, I'll press it, and then I'll end up with this white slurry. So in the white slurry, my mom loved to use it to marinate meat because mm. she said that it tenderizes and then you know improves the flavor of the meat. I don't know how true, but then you know she does it, and then you know it's like everybody loves it. So we continue with the practice. What what do you think keeps drawing you back to fermentation and making your own ferments? I mean, other than it helping with your insomnia and like helping you mm-hmm. knock away the hours, right? What do you think is the benefit? And when we talk about fermenting things in the kitchen, right? Do you uh-huh. think that they always have a better flavor that as compared to what you find in the in the shops? Yes, definitely. Because it's like. I mean, even the bean paste like, that we use in our Chinese cooking, you know, okay. so if you have made taojiang, yeah, if you make taojiang on your own, you know, it's like it will taste, even how, how unsuccessful you think you, you know, that like you have done, you know, it will still taste better than from the bottle, seriously. When you talked about fermenting your own taojiang, I was like a little bit mind blown because I've never fermented my own taojiang. To me, it's like, Taochiu and soy sauce and things like that are things that you buy from a shop, right? Oh. Like, do you feel that one can ferment anything? Like all of the things like Tai Po, your own chinchalok, do you think that's possible or do you think there are some that are out of the reach of a home fermenter? Mm. Rice wine is definitely within. And then Taochiu a bit difficult because you need to have bean koji. Unless you like learn to do it on your own, you can't. I mean, you can make miso as a replacement for taojiao, yes. And then veggies, you can do swan thai very easily in Singapore, but then you have to be careful. You know, it's like uh, you have to do it in the cooler months, and then you know, it's like you have to monitor it like very very closely. Once it ripens, you're supposed to put it in the fridge. Mm. So. I think this tree is like you can easily do it in like in Singapore's home. Yeah. Not an issue. Mm. Actually I'm very inspired, you know, after chatting with you to to start on my own ferments because one thing that that we experience here is that every time we go to an Asian grocer and buy like typo, it comes in like a small yeah. packet. And then like there's so much plastic. So I was just thinking maybe I should make it myself. And also a lot of these ferments tend to have a lot of chemicals in them. Yes. They have to add these, you know, like um, chemicals inside because those that are bought off the shelf, they don't go through the full fermentation, you know, the duration that is needed. Because it's like some of the taochiong that you buy off the shelf, why it doesn't taste that good? Because it could have been just fermented for 15 days mm-hmm. instead of the long like months of, you know, like months under the sun. It could have been done just 15 days. That's why the taste doesn't develop. Yeah. And I'm sure like a lot of people like me, they feel very intimidated about fermenting. I think for Mm. me, the biggest hindrance is that I can't find the right spores or like the right yeast. Like for example, the wine cakes that we were talking about, I I can never find that here where I live, but maybe in the city I can find some. So I mean, what was your biggest hindrance when you first started? Wine cakes, you name it, the wine cakes. That was the greatest hindrance because... The ones that I got in Singapore, either they are not fresh or that they are not properly stored. So they are not as um, effective, not not as active compared to the ones I bought from um, Malaysia. 
So mm. it's like in the end, you know, so, but I have heard from one or two fermentation friends, they managed to get it in some of the, what do you call that, you know, it's like dry goods stores in, I can't remember which market, but you know, it's like those were from Malaysia as well. Mm. So because I, I don't have that great success with rice cakes bought in Singapore. I rely mostly on the Malaysian rice cakes yeah. and uh, wine is powder from Taiwan. Yes. Actually, do you feel that there is a lack of documentation when it comes to Asian ferments? Because I know that in the West, right, there's so much that's written about, about fermentation from a Western perspective, like making sourdough. There's like so much information yeah. about that. And then recently there was this book called the Noma Book of Fermentation. Yes. Um, but the thing is, I've not seen a book that actually really celebrates Asian ferments, like the, the fermented durian uh, that you're talking about. Yes. You hardly ever read about that or like hardly ever have like a step-by-step kind of book outlining the processes. I think probably because last time, you know, that is for Asian ferments, it's passed down, you know, by the word of mouth, you know, like from the grandma to the mother and the mother to the daughters. So if let's say, you know, it's like one generation decide, I do not want to learn it. And then that's it. So you can imagine, that's why, you know, it's like I always feel that if one day, you know, that we can come up with a book that really, really, you know, like deal with all sorts of Asian mm-hmm. ferments, it would be really, really good, you know, it's like for all the younger generations. Exactly. Because it's like when they, are, when they want to learn it, they can just go and buy the book. Yeah, when I heard you talk about your process, right, it's like when you want to learn something, then you have to win. consult all these masters. Yes. They have to tell you one-on-one how to, how to fix the problem. True, because like when I want to learn how to make rice wine, I was like, my, grand, uh, my maternal grandma has passed on. So there's no way I can ask. So at that time, you know, so I have to call up, you know, like my aunt, do you know anybody, you know, like in Singapore who knows how to do it? Say, no, not in Singapore, but in Malaysia, maybe I can, you know, like find out from you. So that's why, you know, like in Singapore, you know, it's literally a vanishing art. Mm. You can hardly find someone who can really, you know, like teach you how to do it properly, step by step. Really, really difficult. And is this community of fermenters in Singapore big or is it, you know, just a handful of people? I think it's just a handful of people. I know Ting Tie. Ting Tie does the scientific side, you know, like of it. As in, you know, like you really look at the cultures and stuff yeah. like that. The others, I, I've known one on Facebook group, but mostly are doing what you call that yogurt, kombucha, mm. and then sourdough bread, and then stuff like that. Not really Asian, you know, like ferment, fermenting. No, yeah. not. That's so tragic. I really hope that that book comes to fruition. But I have one last question for you. So, I mean, for someone who is interested to kickstart this journey on fermentation after having Uh listened to your story, uh, where do you think is the best place for them to start? I think it's the internet. (laughs) I I think it's like, for me, um, apart from the two, you know, it's like... um, the two aunties that I've learned, you know, like in Malaysia, I relied a lot on, you know, like brewing forums in overseas. The Caucasians, they are really into this. Was like, there's one whole section totally, you know, like dedicated to, you know, like rice wine making. Wow. Serious. And that, it was from there that I learned, you know, how to do, you know, like, because I, I think I read somewhere, one guy in Texas was trying to do, you know, fermenting a rice wine. 
So, you know, so he actually rig up, you know, so, uh, chiller, mm. you know, so, so that he can control the temperature, you know, so to ferment the rice wine. That was where I learned it from. And mm. eventually I found in the whole setup in homebrew co-op, that's why I bought it, so that I can so I try to you know, so ferment at different temperature and see what are the extremes, that, mm-hmm. extreme temperatures that I can work on. I mean, yeah. So I think the best bet is... Internet. <laughs> okay, and in terms of like which local ferment is easy for a beginner, like what would you recommend? Mm, for me, definitely the rice wine. Because mm. it's like when I learned it in also in Taiwan, they don't start immediately with rice wine making. They make something else which is called the um, sweet fermented rice, jiu niang. Mm. Because it's a smaller portion that you play with, you know, like, so you learn how to you know, wash the rice, you learn how to drain it, you learn how to steam it. So it's a manageable portion for a newbie. And mm. in Singapore, you can easily get the wine is meant for jiu um, niang. Mm-hmm. From Sunshong. Sunshong sells, you know, like a brand called I think Angel. And I've made you know Junyang using that that wine is before. It's good. For a newbie, if you are thinking of well, maybe I want to do rice wine next time, start with Junyang. It's much, much easier, seriously. Fantastic. I really enjoyed chatting with you and I feel very inspired now to go into my kitchen and actually try something. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you talking to me. That wraps up another episode of the Singapore Noodles podcast. You have been listening to Rebecca Ko of Midnight Fermentary and Midnight Food Co. So Chinese New Year is around the corner and we're kicking off the Singapore Noodles newsletter this year with a deep dive on one of my favourite cookies, which is the pineapple tart. So you'll learn everything that you need to know about making the jam and the pastry from scratch and you'll also get my pineapple tart recipe with step-by-step photos. To get this guide, you can sign up to our newsletter at sgpnoodles.substack.com That is S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K Once again, thank you for listening to the podcast and I'll catch you next week.